Good morning, gang. Uh, it is Tuesday, July 28th. It still is, I mean, almost darn near shocking to me that we are at July 28th. I just, <laughs> is that crazy to anyone else how fast things have gone? My goodness. Anyhow, I'm not here to talk to you about time and all of its relativity. No, I'm here to talk to you about something far more important. I'm here to talk to you this morning about the Word of God. And I'm excited to do so as we've been looking at the Old Testament passages from the lectionary each week. This week's passage from Isaiah 55 is just incredibly encouraging and really uh, anchors us in the way that we should uh, be trained to think about our God. Now, the passage for this Sunday is just Isaiah 55, 1 through 5, and we could read that and it would be super encouraging, but really the whole chapter is just wonderful. It's beautiful and sets our sights on where they should be for our whole day today. So without further ado, let's look at Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 1, after I have a very much needed sip of coffee. Okay, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Now let's pause there for a second. Right from the get-go, God is making a contrast through the prophet Isaiah's mouth. Here humanity, went, instead of coming to the true God, is prone to running after all sorts of idols, all sorts of false gods. Or the way it's put here in our passage, they are laboring for things that do not satisfy and they are spending their money, their hard-earned money, on that which is not bread. It doesn't give us what we need. And not only that, so it's not just a contrast of, hey, instead of spending your money and your time and your effort and your life and your worship and your sacrifice on these false gods, Spend it all on me. No, no, no. God says the contrast is, I'm offering myself for free. I'm offering all of my blessings purely by grace. It's without money and without price that I'm offering you wine and milk. That I'm offering you waters that satisfy forever. The living water. It's here for the taking. Without money, he mentions twice. A fantastic picture, a fantastic little passage. He goes on, verse 3, Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So this is, a, a, now God is just continuing on with the promises. He's telling his people Israel, 
you have no idea what I'm going to do with you because I've made an everlasting covenant with you. And when I make a promise, which is what a covenant is, you can take it to the bank. I don't lie. It's always 100% trustworthy. Because I made a covenant with your father, David, what I'm going to do through you is I'm going to draw the nations to you. Not in a violent way, in a good way. In other words, this is a prophecy about uh, what he is going to do in the advent of the church. As the church goes out and preaches the gospel to the world, uh, they are drawing people from all nations. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Love that word, pardon. So this is just a, an invitation for of God. I mean, it's as inviting as it gets. Come, I'm, I am bestowing forgiveness. I am liberally throwing out grace to anyone who wants it. Come, no matter what you've done, no matter which ways you failed, come. I want to pardon you. I have done everything necessary to pardon you in Jesus Christ. And that invitation is still the case today. God is saying still to the world, come, the pardon has been won. Now we get to, in verse 8, a very famous verse. You may have even heard this verse oftentimes quoted by itself, right? It says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now my bet is, when you've heard that verse, it's actually two verses, when you've heard that quoted, when you've seen it printed on the side of a mug, when you've seen a beautiful Instagram picture, quoting that exact same thing with the sunrise in the background, your sense of what that verse means is, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Right? I mean, this, when you hear it, you're like, I don't understand, so it must be God's sovereign. I'm not. I don't get things. Listen, that's fair enough, because there is a truth to that in the rest of Scripture. But it's always important to remember we ought to interpret every verse in the context that it comes. In the context here, what is God saying? What is God connecting this phrase with? It's not particularly his sovereign power over all things or even his providential care and how he can reconcile all these things together. No, no, no. That's the way we hear it. In this context, when he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, what he's talking about is his ability to be abundantly gracious to those who have rebelled against him. That's what that verse is about. In other words, you humanity are always looking for ways to get back at each other. That's your natural instinct as fallen creatures. But I'm not like you. I can pardon the worst of my enemies and befriend them. I have the ability at the cross to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. I have the ability to say that over and over and over again because I'm not like you. I'm a God of abundant, abundant grace and I'm offering it freely. 
The good news continues. Verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So what is going to be the mechanism or the delivery system by which God is going to extend this grace to the world and thus draw the whole world to himself? Well, it's going to be his word. And his word is compared to rain that falls on barren fields. Before Christ comes, the world is cracked and dry and not producing fruit, spiritually speaking. After Christ comes, the world sprouts up from every corner of the globe with people that are believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. And that still continues today. But the means by which that happens is his word. Interestingly enough, uh, I preached on Revelation, <clears throat> excuse me, Revelation 19 and 20 uh, last Sunday. Some of you may have seen that message online. And uh, it's a very famous passage because, of course, it's all about the millennium, the millennial reign of Jesus. And, uh, and, of course, there's lots of debate about when this millennium will take place, you know, and people always want to know if I'm premillennial or postmillennial or amillennial, amillennial, um, and why. And, uh, you know, so I sort of built out a little bit of that case the other day uh, as I was preaching. But one thing that stuck out to me in the passage that I think oftentimes gets overlooked, not purposely, is that um, the means by which Christ reigns the world in that passage, especially if you go back to Revelation 19, verse 11, or verse 15, excuse me, verse 15, the means by which he rules during this millennial reign is by the power of the word, the weapon of the word. The way it puts it in Revelation is by the sword of his mouth. Here, Isaiah is saying the same thing. It's by the word going out, usually through the church, but not only through the corporate C church, but through individual church members, that the water of God's word spreads and brings new life to the world. And it's still doing that today. So we conclude the, the, the passage, verse 12, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. This is beautiful poetic imagery, isn't it? I mean, it, this is you, you get the sense of all nature being transformed because of what God has done through his church. As the word goes out, all of nature now is being transformed alongside of his people. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And yes, that is indeed the case now and will be the case forever as we reign with him in heaven, as he has made creatures that were once his enemies, that were once laboring and spending everything they had on things that did not satisfy and on things that were meaningless. He has transformed by the power of his word and the preaching of his gospel into people that bear fruit for the glory of his name 
and now await and even even now have entered into eternal life with him where we will not be cut off so this is a wonderful passage filled to the brim with good news i mean there's really not any negative news at all in this this is just gospel 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 uh wonderful promises for us as we go into our tuesday today that's it from me. That is Isaiah 55. Um, look forward to being with you again next Tuesday and God's richest blessings to you. Thanks.